Another great episode of Red Sea Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you hear, please go to our website, redsearadio.org, and donate to our apostolate, or even become a member of our Immaculata Recurring Gift Society and keep us on the air. Thank you so much, and God bless you. Welcome, welcome to this edition of Red Sea Roundup. It is February the 15th, 2023, and your host today, me, Pam Marvin. Joining me today after the break is Father Brian Eilers. Now, some as you some of you may know here locally, he went on sabbatical. And I am so interested to hear how that all went. So that's what the interview is about today. So after the break, we'll be talking with him. But before that, we'd like to reach across the Brazos Valley and talk to Deacon Robin. Deacon Robin, how are you doing? I'm doing awesome, Pam. How about yourself? That Wonderful. How's Waco? How's our little sister down the road? We're doing great. Doing great. Staying awesome. busy. We've got so many things starting to cook in this not even spring yet, but things are heating up. A lot sure. of church activities and our Catholic schools are real busy uh, encouraging people to consider sending their kids over there. They're, that's one of the things I wanted to mention. I know both St. Joseph's, St. Joseph down there in Bryan and Bishop Lewis Rocker here in Waco, there is the main uh, registration time for their 2023-2024 year. And uh, any parents that have kids that are school-aged, please contact St. Joseph or Bishop Lewis Riker, and uh, go tour the school. Talk to the teachers. Meet meet all the uh, instructors. I don't not sure about St. Joseph, but I know here in Waco at Bishop Lewis Riker, they have uh, four of the Dominican sisters that are their teachers there have just really brought a great presence to the really campus. joyful ladies. Oh, it's wow, amazing! That's so cool. I know just being around those ladies makes you smile because they're always so joyful. It's it's amazing. Mm, but yeah. uh, please contact those schools because. Uh, and also, you know, a lot of people think, well, I can't afford to send my kids to a private school. It's too expensive. Guess what? They have funds available to help people. They've yes. been doing that for years. They want you to, uh, your kids to get a great education, but a great foundation in the faith where they're just engulfed in the faith mm-hmm. every day in school, you know? Yeah, as a mom uh, of uh, graduates of St. Joseph here in Bryan, long-time, um, attend, you know, long-time attending kids, uh, they yeah. really, I tell you, now that they're adults, uh, one of the, the, the best blessings they've received was like, wow, my theology has come in so handy throughout the years. Wow. I really call on that. So that's like one of the things that's made a lasting impression. And these are my kids that are like 27, 29. They're like, yeah, my theology has really been awesome. And that's, and that's what great. you want to hear for kids yes, that age. Yes, for sure. Like you know, like, <laughs> what do you remember from your time in school? Well, you know, my theology. Well, hey, I'll take it. Yeah, that's not what I remember. <laughs> I was going to say, ask <laughs> me what I remember. Ask me what I remember. Do you remember high school, high school Dennis? <laughs> <clears throat> um, you mean you can tell us what you remember, Dennis? It's, it's, you can actually say it on the air? Or? There, yeah, there's a few times that I've, I've taken. No, if you're talking about the academics in high school, yeah, no. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, but but uh, some of the other things I wanted to mention while I have a few minutes here is uh, this evening uh, at Immaculate Heart of Mary and Abbott, 
the uh, CCD program is having a hamburger supper. It's a drive-through event, six to eight. Go up there and help out the program and enjoy some great food at Immaculate Heart of Mary and Abbott. At a pretty good price, uh, right? Eight bucks. Yeah, yeah. you can't full, get that. That's meal. crazy. You can't go to Waterburger for that. You got you know hamburger, fries, dessert. Eight bucks. Uh, they're at Immaculate Heart of Mary. They do a great job and they have a great CCD program where these kids that aren't in Catholic school get some some very good theology. You want to have that's a major. Uh, a very important thing at every parish to have a strong CCE program, and uh, they do there in Abbott, that small parish. Uh, our Catholic daughters here in West are having something that's pretty unique. Uh, they are preparing to bake bukta, which is a Czech pastry. Looks right. kind of like a strudel, but it's not a strudel. It's awesome. Uh, if you would like to have one, they're taking orders through February 25th, and you would have to give a call to Evelyn Petter, at 254-716-1710 or my wife's aunt, Marcella Sincouli, at 254-609-2443. So, uh, and if you didn't get those numbers, don't worry. Just call somebody in West. They can help you out. <laughs> uh, call the church. Yeah. <laughs> we all know each other. Yeah, call the church. Uh, <laughs> the uh, Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary in Penelope is having a fried chicken dinner on February 26th, and they do it right. Fried chicken, sausage, dressing, sauerkraut, parcel potatoes, dessert, drive-in, dine-in. I've been there many, many, many times. Uh, they have great food. Check that out on Sunday, February 26th. Uh, you won't be disappointed. Uh, one other thing I want to mention is, uh, and this is a little bit out, just want to kind of start laying the groundwork. St. Mary's Church of the Assumption in Waco is hard at work preparing for their annual festivals. It's not till April 30th, but it's a huge event at Geneva Hall, just off I-35 here in Waco. So keep that, mark your calendars, April 30th. Uh, St. Mary's Church of the Assumption from Waco is having a great uh, a benefit, not a benefit, but a festival. Festival, with, yeah. Of course, meal and all the other things that go along with church festivals. So Wonderful. It's going to be people. that season, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's heating up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that sounds wonderful. Anything else you want to add, or is that about wrap it up? Uh, I think that's all for today. Well, yeah. Well, Deacon Robin, it's always such a pleasure to hear your voice and your mm-hmm. enthusiasm about everything that's going on, and and you're you're part of the Brazos Valley, so that's awesome. It's good to hear your voice. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me, and I hope you all have a, a blessed day and a and a blessed show with no technology issues. That's right. Thank you so much. We <laughs> can do all the prayers we can get. <laughs> Take care now. God Thank bless. you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bye bye. Bye bye. Well, Dennis, there's something else that's coming up. Um, uh, actually, yeah. not, next week is Ash Wednesday, so, mm, you know. Yeah, Lent is coming Right? Up. So that's Lent. Wow. And that's everywhere. I'm sure there's some um, festivities. All the different uh, parishes will be having their Lenten ashes distribution, sometimes uh-huh. with mass, sometimes with not. Just uh, check your local parish uh, website to find out what that is. Um, and right after that, on the 24th, over at St. Saint per- Saint Joseph Parish in Bryan, we're having a Women's Evening of Reflection, which will have a followed by the evening mass at 6 p.m., starting with the evening mass, rather. Mm-hmm. And we'll follow that with a priest talk and a lay speaker, which will be Mary Jo Hurley. 
They're there in Brian. It's usually just a, a refreshing time to just give it to the Lord and contemplate him and his love for you. So I'll be there. So y'all come on down and participate in the evening of reflection at St. Joseph and Brian. Yeah. You know, there's very something nice. else, Dennis. Yes, ma'am. That I'm very excited about. I, I hope we can get Father Brian in here to talk about it. We'll see. He's I can hear him outside the door. Yeah. But we are going to be doing a Holy Week mission with St. Joseph and Brian. Now, this is really reaching out. This is the most missionary apostolic thing that I've seen happen in our community in a while. And it's literally knocking on doors on Holy Saturday to invite people um, to come to church, to tell them about the love of the Lord and pray with them, pray for them and everything that's involved in that. And if you're listening to this in the Brazos Valley or the Bryan College Station area and you'd like to volunteer for it, head on over to the St. Joseph website in Bryan Mm -hmm. for all the details on that to be a part of it. You do not have to be a parishioner to take advantage of it. And teams and team leaders are needed. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, that would be something very good to be a part of. I I would love to hear him say more about it. Just being able to evangelize and just be involved with your faith. I know uh, over in Palestine, the Holy Land of Texas, as we often have said in the past, uh, we welcome all our listeners from East Texas, but they have adoration every Thursday from 3 to 6.45 p.m. And some parishes in our in our areas uh, do or do not have a 24-7 adoration. But, uh, you know, go to visit our Lord in the Eucharist. Uh, in Palestine, you can do that from 3 to 6.45 p.m. every Thursday. I know um, our guest for the, the show today, his parish has 24-7, as well as a parish here in College Station, multiple parishes in uh, the Central Texas as well area, but sign up for an hour. And if you haven't uh, the time to sign up, go just pop in. I think Jesus doesn't need appointments. I think Not he's pretty usually. good with you going to visit him. Yeah, absolutely. Just to pop in. So Eucharistic revival. Amen. Yep. Amen. If you don't that. have a holy hour right now, get one. If you only have one holy hour, get two. That's what I'm saying. Ooh, <laughs> I could barely handle my one. Oh no, I could totally use a second time. I mean, That's come awesome. on. I could always use more time with Jesus. Well, Father Brian, we started talking and we really wanted you to chime in. Now he's he's joined us, ladies and gentlemen, Father Brian Eilers. Howdy. Joseph Welcome. Brian. Thank you. I'm very excited. I just, I got more information last night on the Holy Week mission that we're doing at St. Joseph and Brian. Yes. It's so cool. How did this come about? Well, <laughs> so a couple of things. Uh, one is the the Regnum Christi movement in Houston already does a Holy Week mission. And so I was aware of that, having spent some time in Houston. And then um, we're just looking at like what we are trying to do as far as reach out to people that are in the neighborhoods and not coming to church currently or have just never been invited, uh, never been visited, don't even know that the Catholic Church even exists or looks at them as sort of like we are the exclusive Catholic club and they're not re- we're not really interested in, in anybody else coming. So we want to break that perception. And one way to do that is to go knock on people's doors and right. invite them to pray and invite them to Easter Sunday. 
So, and then the other thing is that uh, on, on Holy Saturday, nobody knows what to do. So what are you supposed to do after Good Friday? Holy Saturday is this kind of quiet day mm. and like people just have their Easter barbecues and family gatherings and stuff like that because it's like, well, what else are you supposed to do? There's nothing happening that day. So you can't even go to Saturday evening mass. It's just the Easter vigil, which starts after sundown. So right. if you're going to do something on a Holy Saturday, we might as well... And, use that time well for the glory of God. And so that's why we have uh, decided to go ahead and do that for this year. Yes. I am really, I am, I am really excited about it, but for two reasons and not exactly what you would think. Right. Okay. So this is so challenging for us today as Christians to get out and go knock on doors because you just don't know what you're going to find. Right. So the idea of getting out of your comfort zone to go do something beautiful for Christ is so cool. So cool. That's what gets me all excited because it gets me out of my comfort zone. No, it's not something that sounds like, oh, yeah, I want to do that. You know, that's not the first impression you usually have. But then when you think about the interior movements of what can actually happen when you're doing that, it's like, wow, I feel I've been reading a book, a historical fiction about Roman times when the Christians were being so persecuted and things like that. And so it's like it reminds me, of, you know, gives them that kind of vibe about real Christians did this to try and spread the gospel. Yeah, this is this is the apostolic times in which we live. So that true. there is a, a need. We um, there's a great book called uh, Chris, "From Christendom to Apostolic Mission," mm. and this is uh, that the, the thing I love about that book. It's Mon, Monsignor James Shea. He took a sabbatical to write the book, and what he does is he really characterizes well where in the early part of the 19th century. Uh, we really were, I mean, we were very uh, much involved in the culture and we had a prominent place as the Catholic church. And then uh, now we're, we're slowly or if not very quickly being yes. sidelined so that the, I mean, the bishops don't really have much of a voice. It's not respected uh, in culture or cultural debates today. So uh, some people will give the the church some voice, but uh, we need to look at ourselves much more like the early church did and say, hey, we're, we're just this leaven in society. We're going to go and live our faith and we're going to share the good news. We're going to live differently because of Jesus. And that's what we need to be as a church. Uh, we, I think, got a little too comfortable with the culture and having the influence that we did have and uh, that can be a good thing, but uh, it also can be detrimental because we look at the culture as carrying the faith and it just doesn't. It doesn't carry the faith any longer. Right, so right. We need to For live sure. it in a radical way. Well, if you're interested in finding out more about that, you can just uh, call the parish office at St. Joseph and Brian. And but, though, we'll have a website uh, detailing what we'll be doing uh, soon. Oh, awesome. Well, um, we're going to have to go right to the break, Father Brian. But after this, we're going to talk about, and I'm going to like pick his brain about his sabbatical. He mentioned that a little bit about a different priest, but we're going to hear all about his and the fruits and just what is it and where does it go? So stay tuned to KEDC and Red Sea Roundup. We'll be back after the break with Father Brian Eilers talking about his recent sabbatical. I was dead in the grave. 
Welcome back to this edition of Red Sea Roundup. I am your host for the day, Pam Marvin, and joining me in studio is Father Brian Eilers. Welcome Howdy. back. Thank you. So, Father, let's just give our, you know, our audiences, you know, throughout the Brazos Valley now, all the way down to Waco and up in Palestine. And so we're broad reach. Some people don't know who you are, right? So tell us, like, hometown and when you were ordained. Great. So I'm a priest of the Diocese of Austin, and I've been ordained 18 years. I grew up in Fredericksburg and went to Catholic school there, and family's still there. Parents are there. Uh, one of five kids. I have an identical twin brother. So if you ever see what appears to be me uh, uh, with a beautiful blonde and four kids, uh, it is not. His name is Bradley, and you can just call him Brad or Bradley, and he'll respond and also probably wonder why you're talking to him. But anyway, yes. So been a priest for 18 years, been here in Bryan College Station for about uh, two years at St. Joseph's. St. Joseph's is celebrating 150 years this year. So it's the mother church of the area. And um, yeah, Catholics uh, started gathering together in the 1860s for mass. Incredible. And became a parish in 1873. And before you came, you were assigned to St. Joseph and Brian, where were you before that? Uh, well, I had been in Hutto for 20 months. Uh, I was there as pastor, and par- that Hutto parish is really growing very quickly, St. Patrick's. Before that, I had been in Houston for six years working in the seminary. I was a formator uh, preparing young men to be priests. Before that, I was in St. Marcus at Texas State doing campus ministry, and then I've been associate pastor twice at St. Luke's in Temple and St. Teresa's in Austin. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. So here you are, 18 years, you come over to St. Joseph and Brian, and all of a sudden the parishioners are hearing that you're going on a sabbatical. So if you could just walk us through what exactly is sabbatical, are there different kinds of sabbaticals, and then then go into why you took it and then what kind you took? Sure. Um, So sabbatical is a time of Sabbath, of rest. Uh, so that's the intention, and the Diocese of Austin says that priests can take a sabbatical every 10 years of being ordained. So uh, having been ordained almost 20 years, I told the vicar for priests, I really want to take a sabbatical before I'm ordained 20 years. I think it would be healthy for me to do that. And so um, additionally, after having been in Hutto and the pandemic and all of that, uh, and having re- worked really hard to rectify some debt situations there, then coming here and uh, working through a lot of stuff here with a a new principal and all kinds of stuff. uh, I felt like the parish was stable and it was uh, time for me to take a step back after kind of really going full blast for four years straight. Uh, So uh, I felt like I was getting tired and I needed just some time to rest Mm -hmm. and to pray and to get away from the administration of of the parish because I felt like I was... um, not uh, maybe being as disciplined about the the living living priesthood well, mm. uh, and I didn't feel like I in the middle of the rat race I was going to be able to um, right the ship, if you will. So uh, the sabbatical gave me time to do that, and I chose something that was halfway around the world, world so that <laughs> I, I wouldn't have a temptation to be connected to the parish. Uh, and it was for three months in the Holy Land, and so choosing that was in part for that. I've been to the Holy Land seven times with pilgrimage groups and I just, uh, I love the place. I felt like I could go there and feel immediately at home. Uh, and so the place that I was staying at Tantour Institute, there was 22 people on the sabbatical program and they were from all over the world, Australia, Ireland, England, all English speaking, Sweden, 
uh, Kenya. But not all priests. No, there was some nuns, some lay people. Um, so, um, you mean I get going on sabbatical too? Uh, you'll have to talk to your employer about that. <laughs> <laughs> I recommend it. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> uh, so the 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 thing I loved about the place is that it was a two mile walk to Bethlehem and is a four mile bus ride or walk uh, to Jerusalem. Wow. So it's just it's right along the road that Mary and Joseph would have walked when they came south from uh, yeah. the north and from uh, Nazareth. They would have gone through Jerusalem and then uh, on down to Bethlehem. So uh, it was just, it was a great place to go. And I was really excited about the opportunity to go and to rest and to study and to kind of let my mind rest from the administration of the parish. And and myself as a parishioner, when I heard you were going on sabbatical and I had heard that part about, you know, every 10 years do that. And I was actually very like, I was really proud of you. I'm like, good for him. I'm so proud of him for like, just because you don't see that very often. You don't, you don't see or hear about, I mean, as long I've been in the Catholic for 30 years and I've only known other, one other priest, that's Father Dean Wilhelm, took a sabbatical for a while too when he was doing those transition things. And I was really happy for him too because it was kind of a getaway. And I think he was teaching at the school as well in St. Thomas at that time. But I was really, like, as a parishioner, I was happy for you. I was kind of sad for us, but then Father Will Rooney came along and was like, oh, yeah, we got this, you know. It was so good. So I was really thankful for his being able to step in so well. Yeah. Well, so that was part of it was I knew that um, I needed the right associate pastor who would be able to step in, and Father Will uh, was definitely the right one. And then we have Father John McManaman who was helping up and had been helping out for a while on weekends. And so there was a stability factor there. So it just seemed like everything lined up and um, it was like, okay, well, this really is going to happen and it's going to work really well. So, um, yes, it, the parish is also, we have a leadership team from which, I mean, I don't make all the decisions. There's a group of six of us that get together on a weekly basis and really hammer through a lot of the big stuff. So we, uh, while the priest is the, the shepherd of the parish, it's leading from a team. It's not like coming and being the the anarchist where everything I say you must do. Uh, it's really discerning like well with the team. Like a pastoral council. Uh, it's all people Different. on staff. Okay. Oh, okay. So, yeah. It's like our director of religious education, Kevin Kempczynski, our music director, Marilyn Scamardo, our principal, uh, our director of operations. So uh, all of us and then uh, along with Father Will and I. Yep. Well, shout out to Catholic schools and registration going on right now. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Let's do a real quick sidebar on that one, Father, because that's really we, important. We have a, a wonderful Catholic school. Uh, we And we just announced yesterday that we have our new assistant principal for the elementary, Greg Haas. And he had coached there at the beginning of his career and then had been in College Station ISD for a while as an administrator. And uh so he still has a lot of connections from his time being at St. Joe's and he's been over at St. Anthony's as well as at St. Thomas Aquinas in different parts of his life. So very excited to have him there. He's just like, um, he knows education inside and out. He loves his faith. And the reason he's coming back is because he loves his faith and he wants to be there to make a difference for our kids. Mm. Uh, so he's going to be a great addition to the team and really be very helpful and uh, continue our, our striving for excellence in education and a, a strong Catholic identity. That's amazing. 
So yes, uh, anybody that has kids or grandkids that uh, have been thinking about Catholic school, uh, please uh, go on and look over at St. Joe's. Uh, we have a it's a Catholic school at Bryan College Station. It happens to be at St. Joseph's uh, Catholic Church, but it's the one for the entire area, and uh, it's a lot of great things happening there. So um, encourage people to check it out, even if financially they don't think they can make it happen. Uh, check it out and see, and I think that we might be able to find a way to make it work. Awesome. So let's let's segue back into the sabbatical part. So you started to get this notion that it was time to go and you made your decision. But let's go back into like what are the different types of sabbaticals um, that are out there to do? Like you made a choice. And how did you come about that? particular, like what, what were you choosing from, in other words? Yeah. So there are certainly sabbaticals that involve getting a degree, doing like a specialty on preaching, or uh, they have some that are um, more of like a psychological assessment and you go and get to spend some time with a, a psychologist or a therapist just to kind of work through like, okay, how have you been dealing uh, with things in your life and in your ministry? Uh, so a time to really be nurtured. Um, so those are things. Uh, sometimes guys need to take a sabbatical where they go and they go to a a, a place where they're getting some intensive um, psychological uh, assistance and just uh, the the time to pray and to kind of resort through things. So um, all all of those are possibilities. Uh, I wasn't being ask or encouraged by the diocese to take a sabbatical. I wanted to take one and uh, I chose this one because I wanted um, the, a place that I felt like was at home. I could be at home uh, where I could explore. Uh, so I got to walk around Nazareth and Jerusalem and other places in the Holy Land. I got to walk from our place over at Ain Karim, which was a seven mile walk there and then seven miles back. So I got to explore and walk around these places where John the Baptist grew up and where he'd been walking around in the hills and probably building forts and tree houses and stuff like that. Uh, So just being there in those places uh, was um, wonderful. And that's the thing that I've been over to the Holy Land seven times with groups, and every time it's, you know, we're going to hit five places today. So, you know, in and out, in and out. And uh, this was much different. Uh, I got to just explore. Our weekends were free. I got to know shop owners and families in Bethlehem. Uh, and, yeah, got to go to synagogue and got to go to celebrate different liturgies, rites. Like we have the Syrian Catholic Church. We have um, the Melkites. I got to can celebrate both of those liturgies wow. and um, got to go to an Orthodox, Greek Orthodox liturgy in different churches. So it's just a very rich experience of the church that we don't see so much here in the States because of all of the different rites. So, you know, you have the, these rites from the different areas in the world and they all have a headquarters there. The Armenian Catholics from Turkey, for example, have a, a big presence there. So it is just, it was wonderful to really dig in and and know more of the history and the experience it and it's as it's being lived out today. Yeah, so I have a question about the rights. As a convert uh, myself, how many rights, Catholic rights are there? And are they all under the same pope? I mean, these are questions we want to know. <laughs> well, I think I would have to uh, pull out a, a map and to, okay, to okay. Uh, figure that compl- out because I mean there's long lists. So I see you have like some of the major groups would be like the the Greek and the Russian Orthodox, yes. but you also have a Greek Catholic, um, and you have uh, actually this week there was big news because the Ukrainian Church uh, had been 
associated more with the Russian Orthodox, and there's a movement in the Ukrainian church to separate themselves from the uh, Russian Orthodox because of the political stuff and be more associated with the Greeks and with Byzantium. So Istanbul, Constantinople. You said Byzantine, like I've seen Byzantine. Byzantine. I mean, I'm pronouncing it wrong. No, Byzantine is correct. Oh, okay. Byzantium is the empire. Oh, the empire. So, it, look at all that. But it, but it's they're different. The, the Roman rite is the only one that goes under the Pope Francis, though, right? Well, so no. Roman Latin. What's the difference, Roman and Latin? Well, so we would call ourselves the Latin rite of the Roman Catholic Church. So um, then within the Roman Catholic Church, the communion of churches, you have the— uh, the other ones that are Catholic, like the Syriac Catholic, the Greek Catholic, uh, you would have Coptic Catholic, which is Egyptian, um, so, and a, v- a variety of others. So in the way that the church developed, each group had its own language, right? So in Egypt, you had the Egyptians, and they had their own language, and so their rites developed uh, according to their own uh, customs and different types of things that they would do in the liturgy, although keeping the basic form of the Eucharistic liturgy. Uh, you had similar things happening in Rome with the Mozarabic Rite. Um, in the north of, of Italy, you even had uh, the Ambrosian Rite, St. Ambrose. So mm. y- you had um, a French uh, Rite, the Gallican Rite. So you had in through history when people can communicate so easily, <laughs> they right. just developed their own rites and, lang- and within their language groups. So so what I'm, what I'm kind of picking up is it's like it's almost like a dialect for the area, the, the way that they're celebrating Mass. That's yeah. a great way to think okay. about it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. And so some of them um, have, when the with the Orthodox split, you had the Eastern churches uh, being separate from the Roman Church, and then uh, now there's some uh, interplay between the two. Although some groups are closer than others. So the the Greek Catholic and the Roman Catholic Church, uh, the place that I was at, the Tantur Ecumenical Institute, they actually do a lot of work to have the the Greeks and the Roman or Latin rite, uh, as well as other rites come together and their leaders speak and uh, have a meal together and fellowship together and uh, to break down the things that are barriers between a universal communion. So Jesus said that they, you know, Father, that they may be one as you and I are one. Well... We're still working on that. Okay. <laughs> we, we have a, a difficulty with that. Uh, and so this is part of that. That's what ecumenical uh, dialogue is really all about, is uh, how can we all be together as one church, even respecting our different histories and dialects and uh, the ways that we celebrate the liturgy. Uh, and I think we're, we're moving towards that. So that sounds like that was something a part of your weekly life while you were there for those three months. Is that, does it sound right? Like what, it, what was the... A, a, a week in the life of Father Brian on sabbatical. Great. We would typically have classes or tours uh, Monday through Friday, and then weekends were free. So just the opposite of my life as a priest, right? <laughs> so, I mean, as some of my friends will joke, is like, Father, you only work two days a week, right? So there were... <laughs> no. Uh, but um, so <laughs> we, we had to have classes during the week. Uh, so we had two weeks of scripture class from a, a great Jesuit biblical political scientist scholar, uh, we had uh, introduction to Judaism and visited synagogue a couple times. We went I had um, Muslim scholars who uh, gave us tours, and we got to go through the Muslim quarter with a, a tour guide that's a Muslim, got to see the Dome of the Rock, guided by a Muslim tour guide. What is that? I don't know what that is. That is Dome the, of the Rock. That is the mosque uh, that is on in the, the place where the temple was. 
So it's this, if you see any pictures of Jerusalem, you're always going to see a big golden dome. And that is a mosque. Uh, It's called the Golden Dome Mosque. And uh, it was, yeah, that's where the temple was, at least somewhere in that area. The temple that we read in scripture. The temple of the Old Testament. The temple where Jesus was presented in the temple. Wow. Okay. Wow. My mind's blown. (laughs) So mind blown. Yeah, I can't imagine. Can't even imagine. Okay, go ahead. Weekend the life. So, yeah, so that, I mean, we had those classes. There was 22 of us in the group, so we would have meals together. Uh, we would have mass on a daily basis, uh, other times of prayer. And, um, yeah, we took a, tours probably every other week or so. We were gone to Jordan. We went to the north a couple of times. We went down to the Negev Desert, which is uh, south uh, from Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Uh, once you get past uh, Bethlehem and Jerusalem, you're really getting into the desert. There's Hebron is down there as one major city, but other than that, there's not much there. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that's, we, a lot of tours, a lot of time just to, to spend time with these other people who have been in ministry, most of them long, longer than myself. Um, most of them were 60 to 70 years old, uh, and just, yeah, really got to know them and kind of hear, share experiences and kind of go on adventures together. I love that part. This is a side of Father Brian I haven't seen before, and I'm really like liking it. It's his adventurous side because I love the outdoors in general. So I really, re- it really resonates with me that adventure. Did you? So I call it going exploring. So on the weekends you were going exploring. Yeah. Did you have some fun stories to tell from your weekend adventures? <laughs> well, <laughs> one was when I I walked to Ain Karim. That's the home of John the Baptist. That's where he was born. So it's about seven miles. Uh, at least the the route that I walked uh, to, from the place where I was staying just outside of the gate of Bethlehem. So uh, when I was walking over there, it was an early Saturday morning, and I was walking around on paths that I had that were on a map, but uh, did not look like they were normal paths. Uh, so I I did walk over there, and I got there, but I had a backpack, and I only had three bottles of water. On the way back, I started to run out of water. Oh, I did run out of water. And it got warm, so I was sweating. And um, when I finally got back with to uh, civilization, I found uh, some water in a little Jewish neighborhood called Gilo. And there was a park there that had a water fountain. Mm. And I was very grateful for water. So that's one of the interesting things about being in the desert. Um, and you can imagine the people like Joseph and Mary. And with Jesus, when they were walking around, uh, water was really important. Uh, so if you got too far away from water... And you didn't have, you were starting to run out of water, you ran out of water, it could be really dangerous, deadly. So uh, that was kind of an experience of like, oh yeah, you really got to make sure you have enough water when you're in the desert. Mm, For sure. Yeah. And they drink a lot of wine back then too, right? Like that was like the wine skins. You always hear that about the wine skins. Well, yes, it was kind of like in France where you have a a home wine that it's not 12%, that's maybe 5%. Mm -hmm. So yes, they would, wine was always part of the... Meals because it's cleaner too. Back in those days, yeah, right? a little bit of alcohol kills some germs. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So that was yeah. one of your ventures. But I have heard you say a little bit about um, the people that you were able to spend time with, and some of the stories that came out of that that were really you were impressed with. Some of the young men that were there, um, just stories you were saying about um, just the political differences, or is it ringing a bell now? Sure. Yes. Okay. Certainly. Okay. <laughs> Oh, so um, I met a variety of different people. Uh, one of the, um, I did meet a group of people that were going to go on a hike in the area between Nazareth and Jerusalem. 
So that was, at the time of Jesus, Sumerian hills. So the Samaritans lived there. They were a religious sect that uh, had been Jews before, but then um, were no longer uh, had their own. They had their own temple, and so the Jews and the Samaritans did, did not get along. And so when Jesus um, gave uh, water to the Samaritan woman and had that dialogue with her, that happened in the air this area. So these hills are in uh, the was the path from Nazareth in the north all the way to Jerusalem in the summer because it was cool in the hills. In the winter, they would walk, um, it would be cold up there in the hills, and so they would walk along the Jordan River. Uh, and so that was the winter path, and they would go along the Jordan River, and then they would go up to Jerusalem from Jericho. Well, so I got a chance to go to the Samaritan Hills with a group of people that I had met along the way. And it was really cool because I've never been hiking in the Samaritan Hills. We've never gone. So just north of Jerusalem is this this big city of Ramallah. So uh, Jerusalem is mostly Jewish. Ramallah is mostly Muslim. There's a few Christians there. Uh, but uh, never been north of there at all. And these hills are just like the Texas Hill Country. No. Uh, so it's uh, lots of limestone hills and wow. um, some there. there's more olive trees there and more trees in the Texas Hill Country, at least in parts. But uh, we have all the cedars that they don't have over there. Maybe that's why part of The Chosen was filmed in Texas. Well, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Okay, okay. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) And so, yes, uh, so I got to hike for five days from Nablus, uh, which is where um, Jacob's Well is, all the way to Jericho. We stayed in people's homes in these little villages that are still like two and 3,000 people. So it just like Jesus could have walked in this area. And going from one village to the next, you get a sense of what it was like for Jesus when he sent the apostles out. Go and prepare a way. Go to the towns and villages and tell them, be um, uh, prepare the way of the Lord. The kingdom is God, of God is at hand for you. So, yeah, it was just a, wonderful to walk through those hills and those villages. And now most of those are Muslim today. Uh, but um, it was just to be able to walk through there and experience the hospitality of the people. Uh, still really good people, hot, very hospitable and welcoming to us. And then in um, hiking along. So we hiked about 10 or 15 miles a day. Um, so, so that was one of the, the people you were saying they're in their 60s and 70s were what? No. Well, the not. people that were on this hike, there was only six of us. Okay. 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 It was a group of people that I met uh, when I was there. So no, no, none of the other 60 and 70 year old people w- did that hike. No. Okay. I, I was going to feel challenged. <laughs> <laughs> so that was one of the, the adventures that I got to take. Um, some of the other people that I met uh, when I was there. Uh, there were some students from Hebrew University that were staying at our place and also some students from Notre Dame University who were doing their study abroad. Um, so they were uh, also exploring. And it was just fun to to kind of think about like another, gen- the next generation, what it's like for them to be in the Holy Land. Uh, so we had some r- great conversations about all of that. Um, and then some of the people that were in ministry, like, you know, um, things in Ireland, for example, are, are difficult. So we got to talk about some of the challenges they experienced in Ireland and England and then also in Australia. Uh, the, my the fellow sabbatical classmates, if you will, that we had a lot of conversations about that. And I'm very grateful for the place where the, the church is in the United States. I think we're very healthy compared to some of the really? situations that they are dealing with. We should very much pray for them in the other parts of the world for sure. Yeah. So... Um, Another adventure, uh, we were in Nazareth. Now, I've been to Nazareth every for seven times. I've, we always go to Nazareth. 
we got there early in the afternoon around 1.32 o'clock. And so I decided I'm going to hike up the hill. I'm gonna, I wonder what you can see from the top of the hill where, where Nazareth is. And so I finally get up to the top of the hill and I'm looking out over the vista and I'm, I see the Mediterranean Sea and the port of Haifa. And I didn't know that you could see the Mediterranean Sea from Nazareth. So I can just imagine Jesus and Joseph and Mary going and having a picnic at the top of the hill. Uh, just a short walk, probably maybe 400 meters or half a mile uh, up to the top. And just looking out over the, the hills, maybe 30 miles away is uh, the Mediterranean Sea. Maybe they walked over there. I don't know. but um, So that was one of the, the findings that I had. And I thought, this is really neat. That's- so, Talking about a great exploration day. Wow. Yes. And discovery. Yes. Yes. What an adventure. You yeah. know, I have a, a a question about, like, I'm sure you did you go ahead and visit some of the very well-known holy places, like the sepulcher and places like that again. Yes. Actually, the holy sepulcher for pilgrims, if anybody is listening and is, is planning on going to the Holy Land on a pilgrimage, when you get there, you can actually sign up to keep vigil overnight and spend the night in the Holy Sepulcher. So they close the place at 7 or 8 o'clock at night and then open it at 4 or 5 in the morning, depending on the season. And so you can go there and just keep vigil. They allow 15 people, the Franciscans do, they allow 15 people to sign up and to, to stay there overnight. That's and so well, they close the door and then they do their cleanup. And then about an hour later, then you can go into the Holy Sepulcher and the little little chapel where the the tomb of Jesus was there about four people fit in there and so you can just go in there and pray for an hour or two so I got to spend um, both times I did that twice and got to spend about 20 to 30 minutes four or five times over the course of the night uh, just praying in there and that was that's awesome I'm actually getting emotional just just thinking about that experience and that was kind of one of my other questions too is of these rich holy places that you visited was there one that really like stirred your uh, let's call it like a discernment of spirits like the presence of the lord being in that place was just like so palpable that it was like a a moving experience for you uh, so certainly being there overnight in the holy sepulcher that was a big one um so can't even imagine just praying there i was actually kneeling down and kind of had my head on the stone where that's covering the actual stone where jesus was laid and as i was praying there sort of in a you know prone or prostrate position or kneeling position with head bowed i realized wait a second i'm here in the place where jesus rose from the dead the position our resurrection posture is standing and in the early church, we see people praying in the Holy Spirit. They're praying with their standing, with their arms raised. I'm like, I'm just going to stand and raise my hands and praise God. <laughs> so I did. And it was just, uh, that was um, just a very powerful time of prayer. Interceding for, I had the the director, I was interceding for my par- parish and I had the directory of the parish. And so I placed that on the stone and I was just praying for the people of the parish and I just felt very free and felt very close to God in that moment. So, yeah, that was a probably the most powerful moment of the trip. Um, and because and just realizing, like, Jesus, you love me so much. You want me to be fully free, fully alive in you. And each person, you desire that so much. Uh, and how you're inviting us into that. You're inviting me into that now. Um, so just uh, surrendering and saying, okay, I'm all yours. So... 
And it, as sort of an expression of that, I also got a, a, a tattoo. I was going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys hear, are the priests doing that these days when they go to the Holy Land? Yeah, so I got a, a tattoo of a Jerusalem cross on my wrist, right, right where my watch is. Uh, Father Mike Schmitz did the same yes. thing. He made a video about it because that's what my Father Mike Schmitz does. He makes videos about things. But uh, yes, I got the tattoo of the Jerusalem cross. At the oldest tattoo parlor in all of the area where yes. he did? Razooks, 800 years, 26 generations. That's where I got it. That is amazing. So thank you for sharing that. Gosh, um, as you're talking, I'm like, this is the content I was looking for today. Just that the stirring of the spirit at the depths of God's love for you as a priest, I mean, as a, as a beloved daughter, excuse me, I'm thinking the Blessed Mother, a beloved son of the Lord and the Blessed Mother, too, during that time, that that's that's why you were there, too. I, I think as humans, it's so difficult for us to let in a lot of God's love to heal us. You know, like, it really does. If we can let him in, he's going to heal us. And what you just described just, just really moved me, because it sounded like that was kind of a moment where... Mm-hmm that refreshing and that renewing that we all need in our own different ways. But that yeah. was part of what this, the purpose of your sabbatical. There was one other time where we were staying at the Mount of Beatitudes, which is right along the uh, shore of the Sea of Galilee. The, there's a group of sisters that have a, a place there. Um, it's a, a hotel, more or less, but you can uh, stay there. And then, so there's a route that you can actually walk down the hill through some banana orchards that they have there. Cause there's In the a lot, lot of, well, actually, so it's not so much desert there. You're getting farther north and uh, upper a little uh, higher and there's a little bit more rain there. But uh, so they have these banana orchards. They walk through those and then on the way to play the place where Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fish uh, on the Jewish side. So uh, right above that place, Tabga, uh, in that area, is a in the Church of Peter's Primacy is a cave, and there's a um, a Dominican scholar, Barhill Pixner, uh, father. He um, lived there at the the Benedict. Actually, sorry, he's Benedictine, uh, Benedictine, and he had lived there, and he studied all of these holy sites that are right there because Capernaum, the multiplication of and fish, the Beatitudes, Bethsaida, all of that is on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. So right there in this place, there is a cave uh, right above Tabga, right where the multiplication of loaves and fish took place. And he posits that Jesus went to this cave, often to this deserted place, Mm. and prayed in this cave. Mm. And I never knew that before. So, uh, and I didn't know that he uh, proposed this as a possibility. So there's actually a stone there uh, for an altar. But when we we hiked from the Mount of Beatitudes down to the Sea of Galilee and actually went swimming in the Sea of Galilee, which was a lot of fun. Awesome. Uh, But we also got to spend some time in prayer there in that cave. And just to to be there in this place where Jesus went to be alone with the Father, uh, to the deserted place, to this cave. And... Um, just to um, pray with that was phenomenal, uh, just overwhelming because just, okay, so Jesus, you uh, relied on the Father. You uh, had this great intimacy with God, our Heavenly Father, and um, lead me into that intimacy with him. You know, this is my heart's desire. This is where I want to, my my security, uh, all that I am longs to, to be with you and with the Father. So, that was a, a great time of, of prayer and just a beautiful discovery. 
Uh, and I, I hope that every time I go now from now on taking pilgrims, that we'll be able to hike up to that little cave and uh, just spend some time in prayer there. So how, how far a hike is it? Probably. Uh, maybe 50 yards. Oh, okay. You just have to know where to go. Oh. And it's thought to be most likely that deserted place. Yes. This priest, Benedictine, who spent 20 or 30 years there studying and living there, he thinks that that's a very likely candidate for the place. And that's that's a lot better than I can do. So. Right, right. We'll take it, right? Yes, exactly. Oh, amazing. Yeah. And, and so back at the institute that you were, there were other fields of study that you kind of dug into. What was your favorite, would you say, of all the different things that you learned? Maybe there was something really awesome that like, you know, you've been, you, you've got lots of education, you're a priest, but was there something like, this was particularly interesting to me? Yeah, I, I think that the thing that struck me the most in study of Judaism was th- to realize that the festivals that they celebrate are really all oriented around this uh, agrarian culture that they had. So there's uh, the olive harvest, which happens in October, still today. And there's uh, that's part of their their festival uh, festivals that they would celebrate so that the the life of uh, a typical Jew in Jesus's time was very much oriented around harvest, uh, planting, the time of rest in the winter. Uh, so uh, yeah, that it was, I guess, the, making that connection to from the Jewish feasts as we see Jesus uh, celebrating those in the scriptures and seeing that uh, that it was it was based on this land. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like uh, there was the guy from Australia. Yeah. We, they celebrate Christmas in the summer. So mm. you, we don't, we, yeah, you don't realize that and think about, Oh, well, yeah, it doesn't really fit at least our ideas of Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, but so also then maybe the way that our life is here, um, separated from an agrarian culture, we don't really make sense of the old Testament, the way that somebody that lives there in that place would make sense of it. Yeah, that makes sense. So that was uh, one insight. We got to go then to a synagogue for their Jewish New Year, Yom Kippur, and we got it's a really a penitential liturgy that we went to, and they pray very similar to the way we pray with the Psalms and uh, singing, chanting, and then uh, so we went to that, and then we also went to a, uh, just a, a Friday. So you know the Sabbath begins on Friday for the Jews. Our uh, Sabbath arrest. Um, begins on Sunday. So, or is Sunday. Uh, but so theirs begins Saturday or Friday evening. And so they have a liturgy that they just sing Psalms. And we went there and the singing was, uh, I just fed my soul. It was beautiful. And they had mm-hmm. a transliteration there so that I could kind of sing along. Uh, cause you know, the, 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 you, the Hebrew alphabet is different than the, uh, our alphabet. So is they had it in our alphabet so I could sing along and along with, um, the meaning of the words. So yeah, that was really cool just to have that connection with my brothers and sisters and knowing that this is in some way the way Jesus prayed, uh, going to a synagogue and singing the Psalms together with uh, the other men in the community. And then the women uh, would be in a separate part place really? and they would be okay. praying together. So yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah. But while you're talking about that, I am, I've always been fascinated with Messianic Jews. Did you run into any Messianic Jews there? Yes. Um, okay. So it's that is a fascinating topic because you have it all of, <laughs> you have all of these um, pilgrims who have come or people are Jews who say that they're Jews who have come from Western Europe. 
from Russia, especially, but Ukraine and others, because they can get they can go there and they can get government subsidy for land. So that's part of this Jewish immigration and um, the desire amongst some Jews to have a Jewish state that's only Jews. So that's part of the political conflict right now. But you have people that have maybe are Christians who said, well, I have Jew, uh, Jewish grandma and therefore I can claim Jewish status. So they come over and they believe in Jesus because they know Jesus, but they claim that they're Jews. So you have those Messianic Jews of, of a sort, but then you also have Jews who like they have these houses of prayer in Jerusalem and they're kind of undercover, if you will, but the people that have heard the gospel, heard about Jesus, and they believe in him, but they're still rooted in their Jewish customs, which is really where the early church was. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was not a a distinction between Judaism and Christianity in as much as uh, they still went to synagogue and, and prayed together, but they obviously believed in Jesus and in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Uh, so, it, it was really interesting to encounter some people like that and just to see that, okay, yeah, the Holy Spirit is working and moving here uh, amongst these people. Yeah, I've always found it very fascinating because, you know, we, if you think about it, it was at the fulfillment of the Judaic law into Christianity, but Catholicism was really truly, but we don't really hold on to any of the Jewish, you know what I'm saying? Like if everything came well, together. Well, we, we, we don't necessarily know that we hold on to it. Maybe but, that's true. But yeah. <laughs> Enlighten me. A, a lot of the prayers that we pray, um, like the preface, blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, through your goodness. Like that's directly from Judaism, um, from the synagogue liturgies, um, the Passover lamb, Jesus being the Passover lamb, mm-hmm. behold the lamb of God. If you, I mean, again, if you don't understand Judaism and that the Passover lamb was the, what Jesus is the fulfillment of and replaces the Passover, he's the new Passover, the liturgy or the Eucharist is the new, a new uh, Passover celebration. If you don't understand that, then behold the lamb of God doesn't really make any sense. Right. Like, why do we call him the lamb of God? Uh, without Jewish roots, it's like, well, because he's nice and fluffy and I want to hold him and but he doesn't make those sounds. I, why do you call him the lamb? But if you understand the Passover and the significance of that, that it's the people going out of slavery towards a promised land, mm-hmm. uh, and Jesus is the Passover lamb that is sacrificed so that we can go from slavery to sin to the promised land, which is heaven, then you have a parallel there. So yes, we are. you can't be Christian and not have Jewish roots. Like Jesus right. doesn't make sense without Judaism, even if you don't necessarily know what those connections are. Right. That reminds me of, one time, it was actually during quarantine, we did a, a mock Psalter. Seder. Seder. Yes, we did that. I think that's pretty cool because it was, do, as Christians, we do that too, kind of, sort of. No, not really. Well, the Seder is the a version of the Passover meal. Okay. And uh, yes, uh, the Eucharist, the Eucharistic liturgy is um, a, for, a, um, a form of that. So it derives from that. Wow. Okay. So before we wrap up, I'm going to end with asking for your priestly blessing, but I, I, I want kind of you to just kind of tie a bow on this of saying like, um, maybe encouraging your brother priest to do it as well as, um, the, the refreshment and the gratitude that you felt from getting this experience. Sure. Um, so as priests, we, I think priests really take on the burden of, um, the parish and wanting things to go well in the parish. And uh, it's something that even on a day off uh, is still part of our life, just like a, a family uh, has carries that burden. And so 
taking a, the time away uh, to allow myself uh, to the Lord, to ask the Lord to renew me and refresh me was really important. And nobody was going to make me take the sabbatical uh, and saying, Father, you know, you really, it's time for you to take a break. You need to, to get some rest and to receive from God. Uh, it was me recognizing that uh, with the help of some of my brother priests and then being able to say, I'm going to do this and having the support of the diocese and the bishop. So I'm very, very grateful to have that opportunity um, and very grateful that it all lined up. It all worked out with having priests covered and being here at St. Joe's where I could take the time and felt like things were going right. So it was just a, a great blessing to be able to do that. And I find that now I'm uh, living priesthood a little bit different, I think, at least at times where I'm, I'm more attentive to where what is God doing right. and not just kind of staying in the rat race of just trying to do more. So uh, more of uh, attentiveness to what God is doing. Some really, that wouldn't have, I don't think, happened if I hadn't taken the time for the sabbatical. Okay, so in 32, that's going to be on your radar again, right? 2032, oh, Father Brian, it's time for another sabbatical. Yes, well, <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> good, good. Well, um, I can't thank you enough for agreeing out of your busy, busy schedule. She's got so much going on in the parish for coming in and telling us all about this. We're really grateful that you did that. And let's go ahead and wrap up the show with your priestly blessing. Great. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And so before we wrap up with these last few seconds, what is the um, one thing you want to plug from the parish? Great. Uh, Ash Wednesday is in, in less than a week. That's right. Uh, so, and this is a Catholic moment where everybody knows, hey, Ashes, I should go to church. Uh, and you don't have to come to receive the Eucharist. You can just come and receive the Ashes and uh, have a, a time of renewal. So Perfect. I just very, yeah. encourage everybody, invite your friends. You don't even have to be Catholic to receive the Ashes. That's right. Uh, so come to hear about Jesus and receive the ashes and get a good preparation going for uh, Easter this coming up soon. And, and a good, you know, doing that good uh, thoughtful penance during Ash Wednesday. Always yes. good. Beautiful. Give up something bad and add something good. Until next time, we thank you for joining us at Red Sea Radio. So go and love your neighbor.